This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter. This, this isn't like legally binding, is it? Uh, I can't speak to that. Okay. Legally. Hi, this is Ryan Brown. I make some comic books called God Hates Astronauts and a new book from Image next year called Curse Words. And you are listening to the Two-Headed Nerd Podcast with Joe and Matt. Sort of break it, break it down like good. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat in Omaha, deep below the metro area. It is our pleasure to welcome the THN episode 268. Whoa! Where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, October 12th. The first voice you hear on this show is me, Matt Bob. You can find me at Matt Bomstein on the Twitter. And across from me is the rainbow that sprouts from my porta potty attitude, Mr. Joe Patrick. I am the second voice, Joe Patrick. <laughs> the second voice you will hear on this show is he, Joe Patrick. You could. Well, technically, there's Casey, and then there's whoever does the intro. Yeah, but they don't count. They're just. So you're the third voice. No, they're little people. We're hosts, okay? Okay. Yeah. I'm Joe Patrick116 on the Twitter, and of course, you can follow the two headed nerd at two headed nerd on the Twitter. A lot of Twitter talk there. In this week's episode, you're going to hear our reviews of Reborn, number one, and Spider-Man, the clone conspiracy. I'm sorry. That's the that's the incorrect title. It's Ain't Dead No More, oh, sorry. colon, the was clone conspiracy. Ain't Dead No More or Not Dead No More? It was Not Dead No More, <laughs> yeah. Not Dead No More, like colon, not dead no more. the clone conspiracy. <laughs> then Joe and I will be destroying data to cover up a cloning conspiracy of our own while we review 10 more of this week's new comics during the ludicrous speed round after that. Or is it the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where the recently deceased Jamie Madrox joins us Spoilers. to discuss some of next week's comics? It's so dumb, I don't care. All right. And finally, Daorca comes down from his lighthouse overlooking the stormy sea coast of Maine to tell you how to turn your comics into cash in a segment the old bastitch calls Take the Money and Run. But before we start splitting zygotes and building a better two headed nerd, Prepare yourself for the nerdiest locker room talk you've ever heard. And then we can talk about this week's big news. We got big news. Well, it worked for Gwenpool. Did it. Get ready for Deadpool the Duck. Yeah. <laughs> Marvel's latest matchup idea mixes Wade Wilson with Howard the Duck in one body for a five issue series starting in 2017. Matt, what in the name of Steve Gerber's ghost have we done to deserve this? Steve Gerber is a dead man. Yes. He's yes. Not, he died. Okay. Yes. Because I don't want him to see this. Stuart Moore, who edited Steve Gerber's final Howard the Duck story. Betrayal! Yeah. <laughs> and has written both Deadpool and Howard before. Writes the series with Jacopo Camagni. Yeah. Camagni. Illustrating and David Nakayama providing covers and in an interview with Newsarama more described the concept saying, quote, basically, uh, do you want to guess? <laughs> basically, Deadpool and Howard find themselves forced together, combined into one hybrid body, yada, yada, yada. I don't care. I don't understand. I don't need this. And we, we can't just force Deadpool into every character that's not selling very well to sell more comics. So uh, there's two points here that I want to talk about. First is. Marvel's tendency to just shove Deadpool into everything regardless of whether or not it makes any sense whatsoever. Deadpoolification. Uncanny Avengers. There's your time. The, the Avengers! Yeah. He's like, no! That's so dumb. Uh, Gwenpool is just stupid. I'm yeah, sorry. It's stupid. And we don't need it. She's not even Gwen Stacy! No. 
That's the part that drives me the most crazy. I know. Uh, Gwenpool was a one-off joke that they did for uh, uh, the de- uh, the Gwen Stacy cover month. Oh, yeah. And right. so somebody came up with, with Gwenpool and plastered it on the cover. And so they decided to make an actual character out of it. So she's just some other person that looks like Gwen Stacy named Gwen that's not Gwen Stacy. Fart noise. It's dumb. <laughs> it's really stupid. Um, I also want to address the fact that I don't think Steve Gerber would ever sign off on something this stupid. Well, we don't know that. I mean, who knows? Yeah, we do. Steve, it, it is dumb. Steve Gerber created a parody character of a parody version of his own character. Yes. To take Marvel to task for the shitty way that they treated his ideas and his intellectual properties that he created for the company. Yeah. And now this is they're just doing it. Okay, I totally agree. <laughs> this is just stupid. It, it's it's awful. a bad idea. It's dumb. Don't buy this. Let's send a message to Marvel. We don't need this crap. Stop it. Unfortunately, it's probably going to be red hot. Yep, for 5 minutes. Yeah. Stupid. Joey Phil Hester and Tony Harris are working on a new creator-owned series titled Blood Blister. Yuck. Yeah, I hate blood blisters. For Aftershock Comics, Hester, who's currently illustrating Shipwreck, for the publisher, will be writing Blood Blister with Harris on the art and inker Eric Layton and colorist Guy Major. Here's your solicitation. It's Guy Major. Guy Major. Here is your solicitation for the first issue. It's coming out January 4th. Sin is a joke to Brandon Hull. Morality a crutch for the weak. Laws mere tools to be abused. But when the corruption he scoffed at begins to manifest on his once perfect body... Hull finds himself cast into a hidden world of unspeakable horror from which there is no escape. How can you be saved when the evil possessing you is your own soul? Opening a jarring window under the world of horror. Opening a jarring window under the world of horror. It's written twice. I don't know why. (laughs) From the writer of the coffin, yada, yada, yada. Joe, have you seen the cover to this shit? Because it is going to be way too scary for you. <laughs> it's really disgusting. Yeah, it looks crazy gross. There are uh, There's a small list of creators whose work I will check out regardless of what it is. Bill Hester's one of them. He writes great horror. He, he writes a, really he's, great horror. He's a, he's a wonderful artist, but he is also an amazing writer. Yeah, very talented writer. And Tony Harris is one of the best of all time. Yeah. And Doesn't do enough work, period. It, I would love to see Tony Harris every month. It gross. Everywhere. Aftershock is putting out great books by a stunning array of creators. They're going for it, big time. And I think that this is going to be another hit for those guys. Yeah. I'm, I don't know if I'm excited to read a book called Blood Blister about body horror, but... We should um, sit down and interview Hester about this. He'll talk to us. Yeah. That'd be fun. I'll reach out to him. But yeah, I think this is going to be gross and fun, and I'm into it. You know what this world needs, though, Joe? What's that? More f- superheroes yes <laughs> we don't have enough <laughs> speaking of indie publishers arranging an impressive array of talent lion forge comics is about to launch its own superhero imprint next year headlined by creators like christopher priest joe casey joe illage damian scott where'd that guy go yeah alex DeCampi, amy chu david walker larry stroman yes jan dersima <laughs> Pop Man, Todd Klein, Brandon Thomas, and Ken Lashley. Whoa. Whoa. Is it Pop Man? I always said Pop Mahon. I don't know how you pronounce it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I like Pop Man. I like Pop Man too. Catalyst Prime is the name of the line, and it will debut in May with a one shot written by Priest and Illage and illustrated by Marco Torini. 
followed by seven titles introduced over the next seven months. It sounded like you were rapping when you started that sentence. Catalyst Prime will be... Oh, the name of the line is Catalyst Prime. (laughs) (laughs) Matt, the world of superhero comics is already pretty crowded. Like you said, do you think there's room on the stands for this talented bunch? Yes, if it's good. It just has to be good. The same way everybody goes, oh, we're all tired of superhero movies until another really good superhero movie comes out and everybody goes, oh, that was great and makes a lot of money. It can be great. Here's my only problem. Lionforge is a relatively unknown publisher. But they're making big moves. They are making big moves. Lionforge bought out Magnetic Press, which yeah. is also the home of Buño. So they've got the Ulysses Farinas money behind uh, them, which, indie line. They've got money behind them, which is good. Joe Illich spoke in an interview with Graphic Policy. I don't know who Joe Illich is. Uh, he's uh, He kind of came out of the Milestone bunch okay. f- at DC. Okay. Uh, he's a writer and an editor. Uh, he was the regular editor of the Batman titles during No Man's Land. Okay. And he's done a lot of work on the TV side for DC with Static Shock and Batman Beyond and stuff like that. All right. Joe said, basically, the whole universe is started from an asteroid heading to Earth and a private corporation called the Foresight Corp sends four astronauts on a suicide mission to stop the asteroid. What happens leads to the emergence of superhumans on our world. After that, most of the books are going to take place one year after the asteroid. <laughs> he was written really phrasing. <laughs> he explained the lion forge is committed to creating a superhero universe that invites everyone. And then they start talking about diversity, which has been a very popular word in comics lately. Diversity is a, he said, diversity is a buzzword that has become obsolete because it's been used for a lot of PR. I could not agree more. Diversity should be intrinsic if you have an expanded mindset of the worldview. So you're going to create. So when you're going to creators, they're not all heterosexual. They're not all Caucasian males. They might not all be from the United States. They're from different industries. They have different political backgrounds, you know, diversity. So again, we're going for a diverse line of superhero comics that this is me speaking. That more line that's more in line with the world as we know it today, which is a good thing. Absolutely. Which is a good thing. I'm all for it. It doesn't sound forced and it's starting from day one that way, too. Right. Which why not? Fun fact, Joe Illich was the first black editor of Batman. Hey. All right. There you go. Lion Forge making big moves, just like Aftershock. And like I said, it seems like they've got some money behind them to do this and they're gonna go for it i, I mean think this is great if it's good great they've I mean, got they got christopher priest they got joe casey yeah holy smokes alex DeCampi is a great writer larry stroman who's been stroman. nowhere oh i don't know what God. he's up to but yeah this is an impressive array of talent and i'm excited to see what they come up with good on you lion forge go get them That is the big news for this week, and if you'd like to discuss these stories and everything we ignored, hit us up at the big news section of the THN forums, and while you're there, there's something else you should be doing. Every Sunday, Mr. Diversity himself, Joe Patrick. That's what they call me. Posts the question of the week and everyone's favorite digital nerd sanctuary, the THN forums. Joey, what are we asking the nerds this week? This question comes from the THN comp troller, Wooly Toots, who asks, quote, Spooky Halloween season of the witch times is upon us, mofos! <laughs> so, who's your favorite hero, villain, or character that is a quote-unquote monster in the traditional sense? Okay, cool. Here are examples. Feel free to use them or don't, but to get a sense of what he's talking about, he means characters like Morbius the Living Vampire. He's a vampire. Cassidy from Preacher. Also a vampire. Gwen from iZombie. A zombie. Sort of a zombie. Vampire. 
She's a zombie. Yeah. <laughs> she was a Frankenstein. You have until 5 p.m. Central Standard Time this coming Friday, October 21st to get us your answer. Don't waste this opportunity. It's the only Halloween-themed question of this month. There you go. <laughs> you can call the Ziggurat Hotline 402-819-4894 and leave us a message. Or if you're pretty sure you're not a clone... That is an old line that still fits for this week's episode. Yeah, it really does. You can send an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com, but keep it under two minutes. Whatever you choose to do, you will get cut off. Matt did it to Clay Staley this week. He didn't even care. If you need more time than that, feel free to write your full answer in the question of the week section of the THN web forums, and then tune in next Thursday to hear you and your fellow listeners on the THN answer of the week podcast. It's the scariest show on the internet. So scary. Up your butt, welcome to Night Vale. It'll you up for life. It is review time in the Ziggurat, where Joe and I strap on our PlayStation 4 VR helmets to get a three-dimensional look at two of this week's comics. Joe, tell us about the uncanny valley you'll be exploring this week. Yuck. This week I'm reviewing Not Dead No More, The Clone Conspiracy Number 1 from Marvel Comics. It's written by Dan Slott with art by Jim Chung and Ron Friends. With a hat tip to Jerry Conway from the 70s. It's 40 pages for $4.99. The Jackal is back and has conquered death. The amazing Spider-Man is outmatched by his classic enemy's army. Does the wall crawler stand a chance? Should he even stand in the way of the Jackal if he's found the key to eternal life? I think you could have wrapped through that whole thing, too. It's kind of like... The, <laughs> There's a cadence, cadence to it. was really good. My name is Jackal, and I'm here to say that I conquered death in a major way. <laughs> I made a bunch of clones, and they're here to stay. <laughs> All right, good news, bad news. The bad news is that I did not come anywhere close to getting caught up on Spider-Man in time to read this issue. You don't need to be. The good news is it didn't really need to happen. Clone Conspiracy number one opens with Peter Parker and his family dealing with a personal tragedy. Thanks to Peter's distrust of a radical new drug from a shady pharmaceutical company called New You. Which is the only place to get radical new drugs. Shady pharmaceutical companies. <laughs> Obviously, yes. You see, New You offers medical treatment that staves off certain death. But its recipients trigger Peter's spider sense for reasons he can't yet explain. The reader knows that New You is a front for the jackal. The classic Spidey villain responsible for the original Clone Saga. Who and, keeps finding funding somewhere. Right. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and he's been busy resurrecting some of Pete's greatest villains. Peter's investigation of New You causes him to run afoul of the Rhino, the new Electro, and a woman claiming to be his first true love. Spoiler alert. Gwen Stacy. Spoiler. No, she's been in the book for months. Like, I've known, I know from flipping through okay. issues that... Like, it's not a secret that Gwen is all right, walking all right, around. All right. This Gwen may or may not be the real deal. Dan Slott seems like a firm believer in the old notion that every comic is someone's first. Clone Conspiracy number one is drawing on events that started all the way back with the launch of the current volume of Amazing Spider-Man. But Slott gives you pretty much everything you need to know to keep up. After Slott sets up the plot. There I go again. After Slott sets up the plot. Spidey is in the thick of it. Learning the secrets of new you without wasting any time. And he's sick of it. <laughs> Slot gives us an exciting battle in the classic Spidey style full of banter and exposition that keeps the reader informed and entertained at the same time. For a little while. Wow. Sorry, I'm just trying to keep the rap going. It, then comes the twist and a butt-wrenching cliffhanger, especially for fans that have been following Slot's run for a while. I'll let you 
find that out for yourself. Then we switch gears and revisit the night Gwen Stacy died. But for maybe the first time ever from her perspective, it adds an entire layer of extra heartbreak to what is arguably one of the most important Spider-Man stories ever told. This is where we encounter the Jackal for the first time in this issue who makes Gwen an offer she can't refuse. Now, there are no spoilers here because I have not been reading the main series, so I don't know if it's been revealed. But if the Jackal isn't revealed to be some version of Peter Parker under that mask, I will eat my microphone. Oh, I'm calling my shot. I hadn't thought of that. There's lots of clones of Peter running around. Ron Frenz's art adds a wonderfully classic feel to the backup story. But the absolute star of this issue is the main story artist, Jim Chung, who I guess is the Ethan Van Skyver of Marvel Comics. He puts out like three things a year and we thank him for it. Yeah. (laughs) His wonderful art evokes the classic Ramita style, both senior and junior. Even his pages of uncostumed talking heads are kind of exciting to look at. Because he does these weird like fisheye lens kind of effects. It's really neat. But his action sequences are absolutely stunning. Chung's Spidey is lithe and agile without being a string bean. Very much in the vein of John Romita Sr.'s post-Ditko design. Overall, while the art is a huge selling point for this issue, I have to admit to getting a certain thrill from Dan Slott revisiting the concept of Miles Warren and his army of clones... I, I like the clone saga. I'm sorry. Slot knows how to build up a mystery and it's starting to pay off big time here. And though I do still plan on catching up on Amazing Spider-Man, I had no trouble following the story and I had a blast reading it. Not Dead No More, The Clone Conspiracy may be Slot's most ambitious saga yet. I'm giving it up a huge buy it. I think what's going to set this apart from the old clone saga is they're not going nuts with, well, they're not going nuts yet with Spider-Man clones. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is a really fun way to reset all of the Spidey villains that have died or vanished or gone away or been changed so radically that we barely recognize them anymore. And, you know, Amazing Spider-Man out of all of the books Marvel puts out is the one book that just feels like a classic yeah. superhero comic. Yes. In the way that modern comics just don't anymore, yeah, especially this, at Marvel. This feels like a big classic Spider-Man event and they can have a lot of fun with this. And like we've said a million times, we trust Dan Slott. We love his work. I'm giving this a buy it to Jimmy Chung, man. That guy does not do enough. It's killer. Let him draw everything. I love Jimmy Chung. I bet he is so slow. I bet he is. That's too. my guess. Regardless, buy it from me as well. Man, I remember that guy when he was doing fill-in issues of X-Force in the 90s. Fuck yeah. Jim Chung was nobody. He was great. And now he's like a superstar. He's incredible. He is incredible. Matt Bomb, I see Image Comics is going through a rebirth of their own. Why don't you tell us about it? Well, they're actually being reborn. It's different. This is reborn number one. From Re- rebirthed? Reborned. Number one from Image, Miller World. Written by Mark Miller with art by Greg Capullo. 32 pages for $3.99. Writer and comics impresario Mark Millar adds another A-list artist to his zoo by stealing Greg Capullo away from his run on Batman to illustrate the story of this epic sci-fi fantasy that takes place after death. Wow. The first chunk of the story takes place in modern day reality following Bonnie, an aging senior citizen trying to prepare for her death. Before any of the action even kicks in, Miller and Capullo do a wonderful job humanizing Bonnie and her fear of dying. Honestly, 
Her story was so well realized that I probably would read this without any of the fantastic elements and it'd just be a really good slice of life preparing for death story. Bonnie's death scene begins with a stroke and culminates in an amazing one page spread that shows all of her memories above her collapsing like a chandelier raining glass down on her. It was beautiful. Yeah, that was cool. And I got to say Capullo and FCO Placentia, which I still don't know if that is a person or a company or a collective or a robot. I think it's a person because there is another Placentia okay. that works in comics out there, Ivan. They were very careful to make the real world story look slightly dull and washed out, but the second we kick into the afterlife, it crackles with color and action. I cannot say enough about Capullo's work here. He really came to, into his own on his Batman run and set himself apart truly as one of the great bad artists. But this, this is even a step above. Greg Capullo is operating somewhere in between Mark Silvestri, Todd McFarlane, and Walter Simonson when they were all at their best. His art has never looked this good and it is worth the cover price alone. As for Miller's story, it's a little simple, and it's not entirely clear if it's just an imagined near-death experience or the actual afterlife. Regardless, I can't wait to see Capullo drawing more axe-wielding barbarians I don't killing think it's dragons. Imagined. I don't think it's imagined because they show that other character dying in the beginning and waking no, up. No, I agree. In it. I wasn't going to go into that because I think there's something going on there, but... We'll get to it. I'm sure the movie is already in development and it's going to be kick ass as well. I am giving Reborn a huge buy it. After a quick confab, we have decided that we are not agreeing on what's happening in this book. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Matt thinks it's unclear. I think it's totally clear. We'll, we'll find out. Could be some mystery. It's here. fine. It's fine. Uh, FCO Placentia is a person. Okay. I, I don't know. I um, Maybe it's a cultural thing. I don't know what the FCO said. Their first is. name is FCO. Fuck up. <laughs> nice job. <F-O>. <laughs> I'm sorry. I did really like this. I, I think the story of Bonnie is very compelling and you get a real sense of her frustration and her fear when she's um, as like her life is kind of yeah. slipping away from her or she's losing control of it. Right. And the waking up in the fantasy world is uh, like a really jarring sense. Uh, there were actually a couple of moments and maybe they were done on purpose, but uh, there were a couple of transitions that I actually found kind of jarring. I think they were supposed to be. And maybe I'll give them the credit. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt and, and assume that that was on purpose where it's just like an eye blink. Yeah. Where something happens in this panel and then you turn the page and all of a sudden, it's some, a different thing completely. I think that's kind of a Millar trick that we've seen in other books that he does too. Or definitely, where it's just like, what the? Like yeah. he's trying to put you right in the action where you literally turned your head and there was something else going on. Yeah. But the book is beautiful. Uh, he's got a different inker. Danny Mickey, I think, was his inker on Batman for most of it or a lot right. of it. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Glap- Glapion is inking in him here. Still looks great. It's amazing. Uh, the colors are wonderful. Yeah. I think this is another fun concept for Miller. Hopefully it doesn't go down the road of a lot of um, his lesser projects like uh, Nemesis, where he implants the bomb in the uterus of a guy's daughter. I don't know. (laughs) I I think he's been on a winning streak lately. He's really figured it out. And maybe he is just trying to sell scripts. Fine with me if they're this good. I don't care. I really liked it. I'm giving it a buy it. I was looking forward to this for a long time. 
Uh, they they sort of have teased what Capullo's going to be doing when he comes back to DC. Right. Uh, and uh, if we get this sort of fun departure from him for the next six months or however long, absolutely you worth it. You can tell he's having a great time. Yeah, I love it. So that is a double buy it for the clone conspiracy and a double buy it for Reborn. You must be in a good mood this week. I don't know. Now it's time for you formerly living genetic deviants to play critics. So head over to thmforums.boards.net and tell us what you thought of these comics. Maybe how bad they were and how bad we got. How bad we are. Yeah, how bad we are. Just tell us that we're bad people. (laughs) We deserve it. Playing God is such an easy term to throw at Matt and I's research when, in all actuality, we're trying to improve on mankind. Making them better looking. It just so happens that the U.S. has some serious anti-human cloning laws, and a group of foolish FDA agents are about to raid several of our above-ground labs. Only to meet their doom. So Matt and I are deleting hard drives and detonating EMPs while our clone army jettisons into underground escape pods. While we review 10 more of this week's comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed, go! Warlords of Appalachia, number one from Boom. The South rises again and then gets its butt kicked in this near-future dystopian tale where Kentucky is the last holdout against the U.S. government. This was billed as Southern Bastard meets Dune in the mid-21st century, and it lives up to that hype. It's a great story by Philip Kennedy Johnson and hard line art by Jonah Scharf that gives the book an edgy and cool real-world feel. There's a lot of this head-for-the-hillsy militia stuff on the stands right now, but Warlords of Appalachia is easily the best. I loved this. Buy it. Sounds like a right-wing redneck wet dream. Sort of, yeah. Great Lakes Avengers, number one, <laughs> from Marvel. The GLE is back, baby, thanks to some legal loopholes that caused the team to be reinstated as official members of the Avengers franchise. Are they an official or are they the only? Well, <laughs> they kind of made it sound like, like look, <laughs> you've got it, and we don't know what's going like, on. The they other. are The Great Lakes of Avengers are now a recognized branch of the right. Avengers franchise. They're sort of making fun of new Avengers and other Avengers sure. and the Avenging Avengers. <laughs> this was a super fun story about Flatman desperately trying and failing to get the band back together now that things are actually starting to go their way. Gorman's script is smart and funny, and the art by Will Robson suits this kind of comedic story very well. The story probably could have used a bit of retelling of the GLA concept after so much time has gone by, but I really liked it. Great Lakes Avengers number one gets a buy it. Really nice art, too. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Oh, boy. The Lost Boys, number one from DC Vertigo. Stay with me here. This new Vertigo miniseries explores what happened after the end of the 1980s vampire classic movie, The Lost Boys. You know it. You love it. I expected nothing from this issue and put it down pleasantly surprised. Writer Tim Seeley obviously loves the original film and captures the quirky 80s horror fun perfectly down to his betrayal of both Corys. And if you don't know who Corey Feldman and Corey Haim are, you're too damn young to be listening to this show. Turn off and go Snapchat or some bull. Didn't Corey Haim die? Yes, we lost him too soon. Great art by Scott Godlowski and a fun read from Seeley. Lost Boys gets a huge buy it for anyone looking for some spooky 80s nostalgia. It was just great. And it had a variant cover featuring shirtless saxophone guy from the movie. (laughs) It was great. Are are the Corys the Frog Brothers? Is that who they play? Corey Feldman is one of the Frog Brothers. Corey Haim was the main character who was Michael's little brother. Right, right, right. Yes. 
Solo, number one from Marvel. Solo was a pretty one-note character created in the mid-80s. He was a guy with an Uzi that teleported and killed terrorists. He didn't, he didn't just and kill terrorists. He hated terrorists. Right. His, <laughs> his tagline was, while Solo lives, terror dies. And he shattered it wherever he went. Like, yep. Like skirt. sprayed bullets uncontrollably. Yeah. That was Uzi. <laughs> he was used very sparingly for about 10 years, give or take. Like, I he believe first he popped few... up in the assassination plot. Assassination the assassination nation plot. Nation, right. right. He was introduced in one issue of Web of Spider-Man in 1986. Yep. They did not use him again until three years later in the assassination <laughs> nation yes. or whatever. I loved him back in the day. Yeah, then he was all but forgotten about. But now he's back as part of Deadpool's Mercs for Money, most of whom are getting solo titles for no good goddamn reason. Because you can put Deadpool on the cover. Except he's, they don't mention Deadpool at all in this book. I know. If you couldn't tell by now, my enthusiasm for this title couldn't be much lower. The creators, Jerry Duggan, Jeffrey Thorne, and Paco Diaz, execute their story. Period. They execute their story. <laughs> Except for the fact that they don't bother to explain what Solo's whole deal is. I looked that up on Wikipedia. And from my own memory, like, I remember Solo yeah. when I was a kid. You teleport, kill terrorists, the end. The end. It's not awful, but it's not that great. He had great hair, too. Yes. I couldn't find any reason to care, and I'm not even sure that fans of Deadpool and his mercs for money will either. Solo number one doesn't do anything to justify its own existence, and as occasional guest host Dave DeMarco says, sometimes half a loaf is worse than no loaf at all. Solo number one is a leave it. Yeah, money grab. Solo number one is a money grab. Hard Case Crime, colon, P-Plan, number one from Titan. Hard Case Crime Publishing brings their crime novels to comics with their first offering, P-Plan. Yeah, they write a bunch of different, like, hardcore crime novels. I love it. The story takes place in seedy 1980s New York, where a stripper in a P-Booth gets roped into a murder case. Christina Faust and Gary Phillips write this story of a sex worker and her punk rock boyfriend trying to solve a murder with very solid, thin line artwork by Andrea Camerini. Peepland is a great read for any fan of real-world crime noir stories. I'm saying buy it. Of course, it's an adult book. Romulus, number one, from Image. I mean, it's not an adult book. It's like a Vertigo book. It's got some boobies. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I'm like, not, there's no, like, full-on. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Romulus, number one, from Image. Romulus follows a mother-daughter team of assassins on the run from the secret society that actually steers human history. This book was a pleasant surprise from creators Brian Hill and Nelson Blake II. Hill's script takes a sort of minimalist approach, setting up the book's status quo, letting the latter half of the issue catch up with current events. It works really well thanks to a compelling concept and great art by Blake. Though Blake's work falls down a bit when dealing with scenery and backgrounds, his figure work and action choreography are really stunning. I had no idea this book even existed until last week. It was a huge week last week. We missed a bunch of stuff. Yeah. I read it. I'm hooked. I'm giving Romulus number one a buy it. It's great. Warhammer 40K, Will of Iron, number one from Titan. As a huge fan of Games Workshop's Warhammer 40K mythos, I was thrilled to hear that Titan had acquired the rights to their comics. Here, writer George Mann tells the story of three different Space Marine chapters with different motives, exploring the Califrax Cluster, an area shrouded by violent warp storms for the last 1,000 years. That's one of the coolest things about Warhammer 40K. It's like this mythos, this war in space has been going on for like 
10,000 years. <laughs> this is a perfect jumping on point for fans like me or newcomers looking for a brutal futuristic war stories best suited for a grindcore soundtrack. While the art wasn't the beautiful detailed work I've come to love from the Warhammer 40k rule books, Tazio Benton did a good enough job capturing the hopeless and violent feel that this story needed. Warhammer 40k Will of Iron gets a buy it. I want more. Please. Cannibal number one from Image. Co-writers Brian Bugalato and Jennifer Young team with artist Matthias Bergara for this southern fried horror story about a cannibal epidemic that's just starting to hit the tiny Florida town of Willow. This is an interesting take on the zombie genre in the sense that the infected aren't zombies at all. They're thinking, feeling people that feel remorse but are driven to do the unthinkable Whoa. by this virus. It's a neat idea and Bergara's art is really great. But I had a hard time seeing past some of the logistics, like if the infected are innocent people that don't want to become murderous cannibals and the government knows that this is happening, why isn't it under control? Because Florida, dude. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Enough said. Because Florida. <laughs> Plus, there is a pretty large cast of characters that come and go with side stories that feel a little unrelated to the main plot. So I'm giving Cannibal a strong skim it for now with the hope that it'll hook me in a little bit more with another issue or two. The Electric Sublime, number one from IDW. Art crime, terrorism, mass hysteria, and badass pencils by Martin Morazzo. This comic was nuts. The Mona Lisa is suddenly winking. Homeless men are beating each other to death over an Andy Warhol print. Parents are casting their children in bronze, and it's all connected to the wink. Only one man can save us now, and he's nuts. Arthur Brute is a crazed painter and art crime investigator that's out of the loony bin and on the case. Art if, Brute, really? Yeah. If you've been waiting for a comic loaded with art history references and terrorists in suits featuring Jackson Pollock's splatter prints, you will love The Electric Sublime. This was a lot of fun. I'm giving it a buy it. Angel City, number one, from Oni. This was a fun twist on the well-trod L.A. noir Hollywood genre inspired by true crime stories like the Black Dahlia murder. But instead of a tough male private eye with emotional baggage, writer Janet Harvey puts a badass female enforcer named Dolores Dare in the lead role. As Great she, name. I know. <laughs> as she decides to take on the investigation of her old friend's murder. This book was great, and the art by Megan Levins and colorist Nick Filardi is outstanding. It was beautiful. This came out again during a huge release week last Wednesday. Don't let it pass you by. Angel City number one is a buy it. Scratch! That is your ludicrous speed run, and Scratch is the onomatopoeia of the weekend. The sound of Ash, Last of the Wolves, leaping through a window into battle as seen in the pages of Romulus number one. He sounds tough. It's a lady. If you want even more reviews of this week's comics, head over to TwoHeadedNerd.com and check out the last of the Quarterbin Raiders, Aaron Myers' Ludicrous Speed Reviews. And remember, you can pick up these and all the rest of this week's new comics through our new Amazon link found in the show notes at TwoHeadedNerd.com. It's a great way to get your funny books and support this show. It doesn't cost you a dime extra. No, and you can buy whatever you want there. Doesn't matter. Not just comics. see a little kickback, baby. Buy your comics from the comic book store. Buy your toothpaste from Amazon. This week in Sanctum Sanctorum, we're using the two-headed nerd Ouija board for a morality discussion on the science of human cloning with one of our favorite recently deceased X-Men, Jamie the Multiple Man Madrox. No, he's not a clone, 
but he's used to making lots of copies of himself, so stay with me. By the way, if you're gonna kill an X-Man, Madrox has to be the number one on the easiest to bring back to life list. <laughs> no sh you just go, oh, one of his clones was still hanging out in Alaska or whatever, you know, come on. Yeah. Before we get into any further discussion of this, let's just talk about what comics we're excited to read next week. Joey, settle me down. What are you reading next week? My pick for next week is Cave Carson has a cybernetic eye. <laughs> Number one from DC slash young animal. That's oh, right. I hope this makes sense. We're three for three. Because if it does, it should be fun to read. <laughs> It's written by Gerard Way and Jonathan Rivera, so he's got a co-writer to kind of rein him in. Art by Michael Avon Oming. For some reason, I had no idea that Michael Avon Oming was drawing this book. Yeah, we saw preview art from Oming. I, I, I saw it, yeah, yeah, but when we first talked about it, when it was announced, I just don't remember them mentioning him. Oh, uh, okay. And unlike the clone conspiracy, this was 40 pages for only $3.99. Hey! Here's your solicit. Cave Carson has done it all survived countless adventures below the Earth's surface, met the love of his life, and gotten a cybernetic eye. Somehow, after he and his wife Eileen sent their only daughter Chloe off to college, Cave was ready to become just another mundane member of the surface world. That is, until Eileen got sick. Newly widowed, Cave tries to piece his life back together when a knock on the door of his secret underground lab pulls him back into a past that he and Eileen thought they had left buried deep within the Earth. Adding to his troubles, Cave must determine if his recent hallucinations and visions are the work of his mind or his mysterious cybernetic eye. Spoiler, it's the eye. Yeah, it's in the title. <laughs> you don't need to read the rest of No, this. I will not. The young animal books have not exactly excited us so far. They're certainly Did not you end up reading Shade? Yeah, I liked it. It was a little wackadoo. I'll just say this. Let's, it's baseball postseason, so let's make some baseball references. They haven't knocked anything out of the park. Yeah, but they've hit a couple solid singles. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, they're on base. I'll give them that. Uh, this, however, seems a lot more up my alley. I hope Cave so. Carson is a classic character yeah, that yeah. DC likes to roll out every now and then well, for and old I guys love, like me. Like this take on it, where he's an older guy and like his ridiculous adventures are behind him. He's got a kid that went to college. His wife is sick. You know? It reminds me, not that it will be the same in terms of you know how the story progresses, but it reminds me a little bit of the setup for the venture brothers. Yeah. Where it's like Johnny quest as an adult. Right. And he's kind of a shithead and his life sucks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and this, yeah, this is reminiscent of that where this is cave after his prime. Right. What's he doing now? This sounds like he, he's getting too old for this and it could be a lot of fun. I'm excited. All right. Matt bomb. What do you got for this week? I had to pick star Trek boldly go, which is not a great, title but whatever number one from idw it's written by mike johnson with art by tony shastin 32 pages 399 so again not quite as good a deal as cave carson here's your solicit star trek's 50th anniversary celebration continues with this all new series following the adventures of captain kirk and the iconic crew new worlds new species new ships where it is you will see the newest Enterprise that will be in the next movie here in this comic. Oh, yeah, because in Star Trek Beyond, it got uh, blown up. Uh, it got blown up real good. It got blown up. And a new danger, unlike anything the Federation has ever encountered before. Boldly go into a new era of Star Trek following the events of Star Trek Beyond. How come it's not capitalized there? The debut of brand new uniforms for the crew. Sign me up. Woo! Uh, so <laughs> this is this is the new ongoing. Yes, this, this is the new ongoing. Yeah. They just ended the other Star God Trek God forbid they don't just call it Star Trek. I know. I don't get it. 
But I think they're going with the boldly go to set it aside from the other Star Trek stuff that's going on at IDW. There's a lot of it. It's all marketing. They're saying this is the Star Trek series to follow if you want to know what's going on in the canon of the new movies. And they've been really good writing these stories in between each movie. So this counts. It's real. The art by Shastin is awesome. Mike Johnson is one of the writers on the movies. So if you like the movies, you will love he these is? comics. Yes, he's right there in the writing room with all the other guys, Robert Orsi and all those guys. Really, really good stuff. I love these books. Go pick this up. You're going to love it. The Star Trek comics in general are pretty good. Get ready. I'm picking Halloween scary books from this point forth for the rest of the month. Oh, boy. The THN trade of the week goes to the terrifying Son of Satan classic trade paperback from Marvel Comics, written and illustrated by various our favorites. It's 480 pages for $39.99. Holy smokes. 480 pages. I didn't even know you could get that many pages in a book. I know. It's probably too heavy to hold. Here's your solicit. He's got Marvel's most rotten family tree. <laughs> His sister is Satana, and dear old dad is none other than the father of lies himself. So is there any saving the soul of Damon Hellstrom, the sensational son of Satan? The world's best-dressed exorcist will ride to the rescue of Ghost Rider and fight alongside the Thing and the Human Torch. Flaming trident at the ready, pentagram on his chest, he'll contend with ice demons, a fire dragon, an Egyptian god, nihilists, and folks who worship his dear old dad. All while never wearing a shirt. That's right. Speaking of which, Damon must endure an unhappy paternal reunion and a sibling rivalry with his succubus sis. A lot of S's. They're the relatives from hell. Literally. <laughs> I don't know if it's supposed to be that wacky. This collects a ton of the Son of Satan stuff. 70s horror yeah, craziness. Great, great stuff. And I don't understand why we don't see more Son of Satan. I don't know if it's character. that great, but I think it's fun that they're collecting I it. loved when they brought Son of uh, Damien Hellstorm back in New Avengers when magic was going all weird and Doctor Strange was no longer the Sorcerer Supreme. Yeah. And he's like, I want to talk to Strange. I should be the Sorcerer Supreme. They're like, dude, he's not the Sorcerer Supreme. He's like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> it was when Brother Voodoo took over. Oh, man. Love that character. Uh, Dr. Voodoo. Yeah, well, he was Brother Voodoo then and became Dr. Yes. He finished his PhD and became Dr. Voodoo. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Satana, she is on the other Ouija board line, and uh, this is the third time she's called. I don't think she's a Hollow Notes fan, and she did not find that reading particularly funny. Why don't you nerds head over to hey, our I didn't write it. <laughs> head over to our Facebook page and tell us what else we should be reading this week. Once a month, our friend Orca comes down from his lighthouse where he spends his days giggling while sipping rum and running crab boats aground to tell you how to make some cash on your comics. He's at least 90, a little nuts, completely inappropriate, and he's going to tell you how to take the money and run. Hello, nerds. Orca here for a quick comic book market report. Broadcasting from the top of my tree stand out on the back 40. It's bird season here in Maine. Not quite deer season, so I guess I'm cheating a bit. But I'd like to get out and poach a few before the other hunters get out here and f*** it up. See, in Maine, we got good hunting. So good that it brings in the flatlanders from out of state so they can bag the big one. 
The prick face isn't the government like it because they can charge six times as much for an out-of-state license. And the game wardens love it because dummy mass holes and such don't know the tricks. Like going out at night and jacking the deers with the headlights or riding around heater hunting with a thermos full of camp coffee. Truth be told, don't take much away for game, these novices, because they suck at hunting. So I can't complain about that. Usually the poor main guides who get them to shell out a bunch of cash to help them find a deer wind up taking them to an area stocked with deer and all fenced in. The dummy city boys don't know it's fenced in, but they get to tell the missus they got a 12-pointer. Do you know most of them don't even take the meat? The guides usually give it to the wardens to keep them happy. And the wardens sell it cheap to the poor folks, so it feels bad about taking a bribe. Us poor folk buy it up, cheaper than hamburger, and everybody wins. Sorry, I got way off track. Reel it in, Orca, you senile old flat. Okay, so as promised, the air's starting to come out of the comic market. There are a few items worth selling. If you didn't take my advice and unload all your books last month, here's a good list. We're going to go over a lot of recent books this time, so pay attention. You probably have these. If so, take the money and run. Daredevil number 58 from the Bendis run. It's the first appearance of the second night nurse. Not Stephen Strange's fantasy nurse f*** doll. This is one from Clerks and the Netflix shows. Rosario Dawson. My fantasy f*** doll. <laughs> See, when you're famous like the orca, you can just kiss women. Just keep kissing them. I can't stop, you know. Go up, grab them. No, no, sorry. Not even the orca is as sick as that guy. He belongs in front of a firing squad, not the White House. Anyway, Daredevil 58 is going for like 25 bucks, so take the money and run. Moving on, Seven to Eternity is like three weeks old. It's a good book, but it's going for $15 on eBay. If you've already read it and you want to sell it and use the money for three or four new books, here's your chance. Batman number 655 is also going for good money again. Regular cover A is like $15, $20, but the brown one? The one in ten variant that looks like Cooper drew it on a paper bag? One just sold for $138. If you happen to pick it up back in the day, as many of us did, this was Grant Morrison's Batman, take the money and run. Well, $15 appears to be the going rate for an overprinted, hyped-up book, so let's throw one more on that list. Darth Vader number three from just a couple years ago. It's the first appearance of Dr. Afra, a bull. Star Wars retcon character who, sorry, ain't gonna be in any movie. $15 for the regular cover, $100 for the 1 in 25 variant. Take the money and run. Finally, let's talk about boobies. No secret, I love them and you do too. Even if you ain't seen the real ones yet, Orca forgets we didn't all lose our virginity at age 11. <laughs> Like most red-blooded American funny book readers, I would typically buy the Adam Hughes covers of Catwoman and Tomb Raider and whatnot once in a while if it was sexy. Well, Mr. Hughes' variant stuff is sky-high now, and that has brought up the values of his non-variant books by proxy. Those Tomb Raider covers, especially the really good ones, sound for $10 to $20 a piece. Catwoman is where the real money is, though. 
Number 51, the Mugshot one with the numbers from Lost, just sold for $125. Number 70 fetches $63. And my personal favorite, number 74, is now going for $53. Here's what I do. Take a photo of the cover with your smartphone, then sell the comic on eBay. You get to cash out and save what you really care about. Plus, it makes things more convenient having all your spank bank on one device. Now I gots to go, just dawned on me that perhaps being up in a tree stand isn't the best idea during bird season. Kiss kiss nerds. Sort of break it, break it down like this. That is it. For THN episode 268, if you get down on podcasts that have no issues growing humans in tubes, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast collector app. And while you're there, leave us some star ratings, some reviews, some thumbs up, whatever they do on your chosen app or podcast listening device. It helps us connect with other potential listeners. Thank you so much to all of our donors. You nerds keep our protein baths filled to the brim. Gross. Yeah. If you want to support the show, you can do so by clicking our PayPal button at 2AidedNerd.com to become a sustaining member. Just check the box that says make this donation monthly when you donate. Remember, as little as a buck a month really helps us out. If you're one of those poor bastards that doesn't have a local comic shop, you can go to 2AidedNerd.com to the show notes for each and every episode and find, well, each and every recent episode sure, since sure, we sure. started it. Yeah. And find our link to Amazon.com, the affiliate portal. That lets us take a little bit of taste whenever you buy your normal goods yeah, from Amazon.com. We can't stress this enough. Support your comic shop. Do it. But if you can't, or if you need other things, support your comic podcast. Go to Amazon and just take them for all they're worth. That's right. Dig this, guys. We love fan art. And if you want to send us a sketch of what you think the Two-Headed Nerd looks like, you can send it to TwoHeadedNerd@gmail.com. If you want to connect with us, head on over to TwoHeadedNerd.com. You'll find a whole list of all our links to all our social media via Twitter, via YouTube, Facebook, Tumblr, where we post the outtake of the week and our cocktails for the cocktail of the week. You'll hear about that on the answer of the week. And of course, the Ziggurat Hotline. That number is 402-819-4894. Don't forget to use it to answer the question of the week or to play along with any of the segments on this show. If you dig the music you hear on the show, you can subscribe to our soundtrack playlist on Spotify by searching for Matt Bomb's Spotify profile. Don't poke around too much in there, though. Oh, come on. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to THN's very own Willie Toots and his wife, Sue, who recently celebrated their 11th wedding anniversary. We're celebrating their 11th because the 10th was a little rocky, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Where do you, Jared and Sue, and the entire Toots family? Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just clone a more responsible customer. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off. <laughs>